Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Well, hello. I'm glad to see all of you. I was just getting the lowdown on uh, when do I come up? It's always a question of like videos and stuff. When do people come up and, start, uh, and such? Um, my name's Brett. If I haven't met you, I, oh, friendly over here on this side. You guys got to work on it over here because they are like out friendlying you over on this side. Um, it's... It's really great to be here. I, uh, I grew up going, uh, like, I'm, uh, oh, I should say, introductions. I'm Brett. Uh, I'm a pastor with uh, Friday Night. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was oddly self-serving, just getting people to applaud for me um, and for Friday night. Um, and I think that's it. I have a wife. I have a couple of girls, uh, five, six and five, and I'm really glad to be with all of you guys here tonight. I'm glad that uh, Pastor Tim uh, invited me. It's uh, I have really fond memories. Uh, I grew up going to church, and I was part of a student ministry, and it feels really strange to be the one like up here. That, that feels really odd to me. Um, most of my memories of like student ministry are about like rather uh, I guess silly things like girls that I uh, liked and um, going on I guess uh, yeah I know it's, some things never change um, or like uh, going on trips or camp uh, you know or shooting potatoes out of potato PVC guns um, that was one year, um, or yeah, um, but I don't really remember most of the uh, talks that were given about God, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, I was having so much fun in student ministry, uh, I, um, shooting potatoes out of potato guns and stuff, but uh, I don't really remember many talks about God. Um, but I do remember a few. Um, every once in a while, there'd be like an occasional talk, an occasional, you know, speaker, an occasional topic or something, and they would like somehow break through all of like the blah, 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 God, blah, 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 Bible, blah, 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 and it would somehow like arouse curiosity in me, like within me, it would make me think more deeply about like this great mystery that we all live in, (laughs) this great mystery that we call life, life. Like, can we, because can we get for real here for a second? It's really weird that we're all here. It, like, it, it really is. I mean, so, some of you are like, what is he talking about? And other people are like, oh my gosh, somebody's talking about it. It's really weird. Well, like, we, uh, most of us take it for granted. But like, we wake up and we're like, you know, yes, I'm brushing my teeth again. Yes, I'm having toast again. Yes, I'm going to school again. I'm watching the clock again, waiting for this all to be over. But like, embedded within that is like a billion questions. Embedded within that boring routine is a billion questions, not least of which is, why in the world are you eating toast right after you brush your teeth? Why is that your, that's like flushing the toilet right before you use the bathroom. It works way better like the other way. But, But like beyond that, like why waking up? Why teeth? I've got two little girls that are like losing teeth. It is a very strange thing. Human beings, 
teeth. Uh, like, and what do you do with it after they lose it? It's like you feel bad throwing it away, but you feel even worse keeping it. It's really like, why teeth? Why toast? Why waking up in the morning? Why, why are we here in the first place? It's like a question that like uh, some of us are, I think, blessed to have that in our minds, and a lot of us don't think about it all. Um, From the very uh, outset this evening, I want to confess to you that I find life to be very strange. I am one of those people that I like wake up every morning, I open my eyes, and the first thought that is most of the time in my head is, I'm still here. And you're still here. Like, we're all still here. What's this all about? Like, every morning it strikes me as like so peculiar, so strange. Like, not that I'm still here and not that you're here, but that we're here at all. Right? Like, like that we're here in the first place. Every once in a while, there would be a speaker come into student ministry, a speaker, a talk, a topic, something that would get close to like suddenly start addressing these sorts of things break through the noise and address this. And then I would perk up and I'd I'd listen just a little bit. Uh, You guys are in the middle of a series right now called um, To Be Human. To Be Human. And you're exploring like the fundamental postures that we can have towards God. (laughs) Like how do we respond to the great mystery? The great mystery that has brought us into existence. How do we respond to God, Um, the great love that birthed us all, that we casually just give the name God to a lot of times. Over the last month, you guys have been thinking about like confession and thanksgiving and uh, lament, and tonight we're talking about faith. We're talking about faith, or maybe another word for it um, that we've already mentioned a number of times tonight is trust. Trust. Um, And so, What we're going to do, plan of action for tonight. We are going to read a story from Mark chapter 9, part of a story really, and then we'll pray, and then we'll make a couple of reflections, and then we'll be all done with me at least. Does that sound great? I don't know what I would do if one of you just said, boo, that sounds terrible. Like rethink my life choices or something. I don't know. Uh, um, So then we'll we'll pray right after we read this. So let's hear uh, the story out of Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 17. And one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. Jesus is aggravated at this um, point uh, with his disciples. Um, They've been following him around for a while. He answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Because Jesus doesn't like kids or people staying sick. Bring him to me. I'm frustrated. Why, Why is this not already done? And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, Jesus, that is, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him into both 
into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are wasting our time if you are dead. But we trust that you are not. We have joined with the the communion of saints, the church through the centuries. We trust the witness that you are the one who has defeated death. You are the one who has become eternally alive, bursting out the other side of death into life everlasting. And we ask tonight, in the best way we know how, however we've come into the room, whether it's our like 500th time in this room or the first time in the room, we ask that you would, uh, you would speak. We need, uh, we need life from some other place in us. And so um, we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak right now because your children are listening. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Um, I grew up in church. I said that uh, just a minute ago, but uh, lots of Bible lessons, lots of uh, student ministry, lots of sermons, talks, whatever. And I heard a lot about faith. Faith, faith, faith. You need to believe. You need to have faith. And I would hear people teach on a story like this, and the takeaway that I would have in my mind would be something like this. God is pretty upset when we don't have faith. That would be what I, I don't know if that was what was intended, but that's what I heard at least. Uh, God has his job, you know, he's like being God, you know, doing the God things, you know, over there. And we have one job, you had one job, Brett, and that was to have faith. Uh, um, We have to work really hard at it. We have to believe really hard. We have to really, really, really squint our eyes and, you know, turn off our brains and not think too hard about it and believe hard enough. And when we do our job, then God does his job is what I uh, remember kind of thinking. That was the impression. When we believe hard enough, God somehow, well, he saves, he rescues, he, he heals, he, he, he comes through, he does the God thing, you know? Um, and if God is not doing his job, it's probably because I'm not doing my job, was kind of the impression that I got. It almost felt like Santa Claus for adults. It's kind of like, can I just name that? It kind of felt like, yeah, you really have to believe in Santa. Like, really, really, really believe in Santa. And then he brings you presents, you know? And if you don't believe in Santa, then it's a lump of coal for you. Uh, like, like, everyone else is getting a gift, but you didn't believe hard enough, and there's a snake in your stocking. Congratulations. Like, Jesus, I, I mean, after, I mean, verse 19, Jesus does. He seems kind of grumpy that the kid, that his disciples can't heal this kid. 
kid. You unbelieving generation, he says. And then he gets kind of like prickly with the dad at that point. He says, if you can, if, if I can, what, what's this talk about if I can? I would read a story like this and I would focus on the parts. My, it would be like I'd gravitate to the parts that would affirm or seem to confirm the worst ideas that I had about God. It's really what I would do. It, it felt like I had one job to do. I had to conjure up some kind of certainty about something that I, truth be told, I, like I'm the one up here and so you guys don't have to say it, but I'll say it for all of us. I felt like I had to conjure up a certainty about something that I totally was not certain about, Right? Like, isn't that the way faith often sounds? It, it, like, it, it sounds, faith a lot of times sounds like certainty. Like, I'm 100% certain that I just actually thought of that office line. I'm 99% sure that that is not the real Ben Franklin. Um, those of you who know, you know. <laughs> like, but we would all, I would often, I'd feel like, hear people talk and they'd be like, I am 100% certain that God exists out there. And I am 100% certain that God loves me. And I am 100% Are you kidding? 100% certain. Yes, 100% certain that Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And if you're not 100% certain, then you don't have faith. Is the impression that I got when I was growing up in church. If I didn't, if I couldn't, like God's honest truth, I could not be certain about whatever it was that I was, felt like I was supposed to be believing this week about God, then I felt like I was in real trouble. Like snake in the stocking kind of in trouble, like coal for Christmas, like maybe some fire and brimstone perhaps after I die. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know what kind of trouble I might be in. But I want you to notice something in this story. I want you to notice what the father of this boy says. We just ended the story right there because I want it to linger in our ears and in our minds and in our hearts. I do believe, uh, help my unbelief. And do you want to know what Jesus does right after this? He heals he saves, he comes through, he heals the boy, he casts out, uh, out evil, he, he reunites father and son. Jesus saves, even though no one is certain. That's just what he does. He saves, even though no one is certain. I, I want to clear up, I need to name, I, I felt like I was invited to talk about faith, and so I want to come in and I want to name something that I feel like is a really common misconception in the church. We just want to say it this way. Faith is not certainty. If you had certainty, you would not need faith. By definition, whatever we mean by faith, like we don't mean certainty. We're not certain. Some of you in the room are really uncomfortable and some of you in the room are feeling like this great balm right now. But I just need to name it. If we had certainty, we would not need faith. The father in this story is saying that both faith 
and doubt exist simultaneously within him. I'm not certain, Jesus. I'm not certain. But I do believe a little. And for Jesus, this, like this tiny bit of faith, it's like a mustard seed. It's like this tiny bit of faith is enough. And Jesus is like, yes, that, that's enough. Um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get this on a slide, but I was too late to get it on uh, here. And so I'll just say it maybe twice. Faith is the posture that we have when we don't have certainty. That's, faith is the posture we have when we don't have certainty. This is profoundly good news, quite frankly, uh, because the older I get, the more I learn, uh, the less certain I am about like anything. <laughs> Truth be told. Uh, the, the science, for example, like the same science that gave us smartphones, perhaps you have a supercomputer in your pocket. Um, like the same science that gave us smartphones also tells me that everything that I see and I touch in this room right now, this thing right here, 99% of atoms in everything, everywhere is actually empty space. What the? That doesn't make any sense at all. Like, every, it looks solid to me, but apparently the same science that makes this work tells us that. But it gets even more confusing. It gets even weirder. Do you remember, how many of you remember, like, some time ago in elementary school when they taught us about, I assume they're still teaching it, about the states of matter in science. There are states of matter. Are there, are there really five? I am so out of the loop then. I feel so vulnerable. I, when I, back in my day, they would teach us about solids, liquids, and gases. That's right. And then somewhere along the way, they threw in the bombshell that there's like a fourth one called plasma. Um, what's the fifth one? Oh my gosh, that's like, <laughs> give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Is that like the Higgs, Higgs boson particle, like the God particle related to that? Oh my gosh, it's like a super solid, whereas like the plasma is like liquid and gas together. Yeah, okay. Okay, so let's just say right now that we learned about matter. Matter has different ways that it can be. Solid, liquid, gas, Higgs, bosine, um, and plasma sometimes. Uh, like, but apparently, when it turns out when you actually dive into science, like go on YouTube, find like a Harvard-Princeton boring person to listen to and get to them talking and they'll say it in really technical academic speak and so you won't necessarily catch it but they will admit that all of the most well-studied educated smartest people in the world nobody actually knows what matter is which is crazy Solids, liquids, gases, and anything else, we don't really know what any of them are. Like, that doesn't, that, 
what? That does not compute. I mean, I understand when science, when scientists say we're not really sure what Pluto is. Like it's too, it's too small to be a planet, but it's too big to be just be a flying rock. I got an idea. Let's just call it a dwarf planet and we'll just make up a new category, call it a day. Like I get that. Pluto is one thing. But like, let's be honest, who cares about Pluto? <laughs> like, it's dark, it's far away, it's frozen. Oh, do we have some Pluto? Like, well, yes, I love Pluto. Like, Pluto is one thing to not know what it is, but matter? Everything's made of matter. Nobody knows what it is. I think this is, this is actually why the Avengers can shriek down to a quantum level and all the rules of physics stop working because no, no scientists can like dispute them. Everybody's like, yeah, well, might be. Like nobody understands what's happening when we go really small or really big. And so they might as well go back in time. Who knows? Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, what I'm saying, it's been out for a few years. You can get over it. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is the more scientists learn, the more I learn, the more that we learn as the human race, nobody is certain about anything. Like even what this is made of. Like that's really good news because we're not called to certainty. We're called to faith. It is possible to say to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. In fact, not only is that possible, that's the only thing that any of us in the room, any pastor on staff, anybody anywhere can do is say, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, this moment with this dad it's less like something, um, it's less like being certain of something um, because honestly, we can't be certain of anything. And it's more like trusting this person in front of him is more what it's like. Like the, this Jesus that I've heard stories about because remember, this guy doesn't know Jesus. They're not like best friend. We assume this sometimes when we're reading stories. He doesn't know Jesus. They're not BFFs. They're, they don't even know each other. He's just heard stories about Jesus like us. He's heard stories and he now needs the stories to be true. Jesus, I trust you. Help me in any way that I don't trust you. Help me. We could say it this way. In scripture, faith is a relationship word. It's less like believing an idea and it's more like trusting a person. There's a really big difference between the two. It's less like trying to convince yourself that something that seems impossible, like, oh man, somehow that's gotta be true. And it's more, it's more like trusting someone that you already know a little bit. That you, you actually already know a little bit. When I was uh, in first grade, there was, uh, I was kind of obsessed with the idea of secret hideouts. Um, like, I don't remember where this came from, but it, I, I imagine it came from either like the Batcave or like some episode of DuckTales somewhere is what I really imagine. Um, wherever the idea came from, I must have been talking about secret hideouts and such uh, in my first grade class because another kid, some jackleg in my first grade class, this 
jerk of a seventh of a seven-year-old like comes and find and he tells me that there is a secret system of tunnels running under the neighborhood in the city and a secret hideout and it was near where I lived near where I lived oh yeah it must be it's everywhere what's your street and I told him and uh, oh definitely do you does your backyard have a fence it does my backyard has a fence does the fence come together in a corner somewhere yes as a matter oh my gosh how did you know yes it does there's a corner in my backyard well all you have to do is you have to go dig right there in that corner and you'll find the tunnel and get to the secret hideout. And I, I, I believed him. <laughs> it's a sad story. It doesn't have a happy ending, guys. Like, I can remember being out in the corner of my backyard, like working up a sweat as a seven-year-old, like digging a, a hole that probably in the, like the, this was hard soil, it probably ended, I managed to get it like two feet deep, which is pretty remarkable for like a seven-year-old with hard soil. And I think my mom, whom I trusted, I believed, she had to be the one to come out and to break the news to me. <laughs> like there, now you guys have confirmed your mean streak over on this side of the room. You're laughing at the seven-year-old. <laughs> She had to come, and I'm just kidding, guys, um, had to come and break the news to me that there is no tunnel system under the neighborhood. There's no secret hideout. I had believed something, an idea out there. I had trusted someone, this jerk of a seven-year-old in my class that did not deserve my trust, uh, and it took time. And I had to listen to somebody that I trusted even more to help me understand what was real and what was not real. To listen to somebody I trusted and that I already knew to help me understand what was real and what was not real. And this is actually a, a way that I've started thinking about the, the life of faith, what we mean by the life of faith, because every single one of us in the room already knows something and we are invited to trust it more. You already know something and you're invited to trust it more and that something is love. Love is not one of the states of matter. Love is not something that we can find anywhere in the universe. Not in a way that we can hold in our hands, that we could bang on, that we could goop up in a bottle. It's not something that we can measure with scientific instruments. If you search this room right now, you will not find love. If you search this whole world, you will not find love anywhere. Search the whole universe from here to Pluto. You're not going to find love anywhere. You could dissect my brain. Please don't. But like, you could dissect my brain and Cut it open and open it up, my brain, my heart, anything, and you would not find love inside of me anywhere. But if we are certain about anything in this whole universe, it is love. That is like, if we're certain about anything, it is love, that we want it, that we, that we need it, that we can't 
live without it. We, we know what it's like to experience it or to not experience it. I, I, I know something about love, as mysterious as it is. It feels like I, I can't touch it, I can't see it, but it's the only thing that makes life worth living. I, I already have a relationship with love, and it's often a complicated relationship, but it's also real. It is real. And I've been trying to let, over the years, I've been trying to let love help me understand what is false and what is real. Like, ultimately real. Here's the thing. The earliest Christians believed that love is not just a thing. It's not just a something out there. The earliest Christians believed that love is a someone, it's a somewhat, that God, the great mystery, you're actually encountering him when you encounter love. There is no other religion or philosophy or worldview that has love more at its, I've looked, more at its center than the events of Jesus of Nazareth. And if we keep listening to love, if we keep following love, what we're actually doing is we're actually learning to trust what is most true about this crazy life that we have all been born into. We're trusting about this life. It's not certainty. It's, it's like never going to be certainty. I'm sorry, spoiler alert for the rest of your life. It's never going to be certainty. It's not certainty. It's it's faith. It's faith. It's, there have been times in my life, there still are times in my life, there might be later tonight, where I have said, like, I've been praying, and I'm like, I don't even know if you're real. I don't know if you're there. I feel like I'm talking to an imaginary friend, or perhaps the ceiling. I don't know. My God, my God, I have such doubts and do you know what that moment is? That moment is an act of faith. I trust you, God, enough to tell you that I don't trust you. That I don't, I believe, help my unbelief. I have such hope that your generation, like, I, it's weird. I'm like 20 years older. How did that happen? But like, I have such hope that like your generation is going to grasp this in a way that previous generations have not. We should say it this way. Chronic dishonesty about your doubts is a great way to lose your faith. If you are dishonest all the time, oh, I got no doubts. Oh no, I'm fine. I haven't wrestled with anything. Chronic dishonesty about your doubts, that's a great way to lose your faith. It's a great way. I want you to know that you have permission. You have obligation. You need to, otherwise your faith will die. You have permission to be honest, to think, to wrestle, to learn, to disagree with teachers, with pastors even. You have permission to be confused. You have permission to say, I don't know, to ask difficult questions, 
Like we, we were singing about it just earlier. I loved it that we would like the song that we were, it felt like the spirit somehow here and like mesh it because I didn't plan any of that. We, did, we didn't coordinate this. You have permission to be honest about your doubts. That's the only way you can grow in your faith. You have permission to be honest about your doubts. It's the only way you can grow in your faith. Be honest with, with each other. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, please, please, for the love of God, for the love of the church, for the love of the world, we do not need more Christians walking around saying, oh yeah, I believe, blah, 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 just parroting what they've always heard. We need a new generation of people rising up and saying, I have wrestled with quantum physics, with string theory, and with the Holy Spirit, and this is how they all go together. We need you to think. Think, your gift of thinking and processing and thinking deeply. I'm talking to somebody in the room right now. It is a gift. It is not a curse. You are not a problem. You are a gift to the world that will have breakthroughs because of the way that your mind works. And so, yeah, so... Please, please be honest with others, be honest with leaders, be honest with God. I promise you from the heart of the gospel, you are not going to make God stop loving you by asking the wrong question or disagreeing with the wrong charismatic leader. You are safe. You are safe. You have permission In this series, we've been trying to articulate like uh, our posture towards God as a statement about what God is worthy of. And so here's my best stab at it. We could say it this way. God is worthy of our trust because God is caring for us even when we don't. Even when you don't trust God, God is loving you and he will never stop. He's caring for you. He's tending to you. That's actually the story that Mark is telling by the end of his gospel. This Mark story doesn't end with a man confessing his doubts and a son being healed. The story actually climaxes, it crescendos with Jesus, God himself actually joining us in our disaster, in our doubts. In our death, Mark 15 is where it says, at the ninth hour, verse 34, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a moment when even Jesus is wondering what in the world is going on. This is a moment when even Jesus is uncertain. God is so committed to you. I need you to hear this. He loves you so much. He's so committed to to your healing, to your salvation, to your being fully and forever alive, that God shares the darkest, bleakest moments that we can experience as human beings. Where are you? Why is this happening? Have you forsaken me? Even in our moments of panic, of anxiety, 
of depression and our stretches of of self-hatred or self-harm, even in our seasons of confusion and doubt and darkness and being owned by things that feel like they just got their their claws in us and they won't let us go. The good news of the gospel is that God has invaded even the worst of spaces. God has invaded the darkest of spaces to rescue all of us who are trapped in them. We should say it this way, love meets us in our confusion, our questions, and our darkness. And if you want to talk about faith, The only thing that I'll tell you tonight about faith is keep looking at Jesus and we're invited to trust because we're looking at Jesus. We're invited to trust that we cannot shake love. You won't get away from it. That's all we're ever trusting is that God's catching us. He's catching up with us. That God's the one who's got his hands around us and he will not let us go And eventually he's going to get those claws out of us. That's what you're invited to trust. That's all any of us ever are. And so I invite you to stand right now. I want to pray this over you tonight. Lord Jesus, I don't get almost anything. I confess before my sisters and my brothers that like I am confused as they are most of the time. Father, thank you for sending the Son. Thank you for sending Jesus, the embodiment, the enfleshment of love who joins us in our darkness and shows us that we cannot escape your loving presence. If we go up into the heavens, there you are. If we make our bed in shale, there you are. If we cross the sea, if we hide under the covers, if we rage against you, you are still there. And it's better news than I dare to believe most of the time. I ask, Spirit, that you would help my brothers and sisters give them a 20-year head start on this. I ask that you would fill them with a knowledge of your love, that they are valuable, that they are worth you giving your son. You say that we are worth it. And so we take you at your word. Fill my brothers and sisters up with a knowledge of your love tonight, tomorrow, this week. Meet them in the place, in the way that they need to be met. Thank you that you love us and that you will not let us go. We believe that with like mustard seed faith. And maybe like a bushel of apples of doubt. But, but like, we believe, help our unbelief. Thank you that, uh, that you're not shaming us, that you know what it's like, and that you're going to bring us home. We love you. Thank you that you always, 
always, always love us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.